Welcome to the Working Moms Podcast, featuring inspiring stories and resources for the modern working mom. I'm your host, estate planning attorney, investor, and pregnant mama-to-be, Pam Moss. All right. So today's guest is Ellen. She is an attorney who focuses on assisted reproductive technology law, adoption, estate planning. She is the co-director of Colorado Surrogacy, the co-host of an amazing podcast, I Want to Put a Baby in You. And she does a weekly column for Above the Law on Assisted Reproductive Technology, Welcome, Ellen. Thank you for being here today. I'm sorry to make you say that so many times. It is like the longest title for any area of law, assisted reproductive technology. (laughs) They shorten it to call it art law, but then it's confusing. We're like, no, I don't do paintings and sculptures. But but so you did a great job just saying over and over again, that entire lengthy title. Thank you. You are way too kind. Um, What As long as we're talking about that word, what, for people who don't know what assisted reproductive technology law is, what is that? Great. No, great question. And the explanation is a little bit longer, right? So then I, you know, that that is actually the shorter version to say assisted reproductive technology law. But it is egg donation, sperm donation, embryo donation, surrogacy, um, any time of, it's also called like family formation law or third party reproductive law. So anytime you're forming a family, or helping someone else form a family with these elements. There's so many um, interesting legal issues that come into play, and it's important to have a, a lawyer specialized in the area. So I have the amazing honor to help those people who are having a child but have to go through these routes, and as well as um, sometimes the amazing people who are willing to help them as a donor or a surrogate. And as a lawyer, you're focused in this area, and you're also the co-founder of Colorado Surrogacy. What brought you into these two areas of the law? Yeah. Uh, so I start, after law school, I joined a Big Law doing hedge fund law in their investment management group for Sidley Austin. So it was like the ninth largest firm in the world back then. And it was great. Like Big Law definitely has amazing things about it. Um, but when I, early on, I learned about egg donation and um, surrogacy, and I became really interested in the legal issues and finding out it was a legal area. And somehow it got into my mind, like, this is really interesting. I should do this. Um, but then kept working at Big Law for another, you know, six, seven years before I left. And um, it just kept in the back of my mind, like, I really want to do something meaningful. And not that hedge fund law isn't meaningful for all the hedge fund lawyers out there. Like, <laughs> keep at it. Um, but I want to do something that personally resonated with me more. And I thought that would be just so meaningful and interesting. And it just took a – it was really hard to make the transition. But it happened that we moved from San Francisco to Denver. And I actually had a lot go wrong in my life to make me kind of take, take the plunge. So – I had a lot of death in my family, like all in one month, and I had to have surgery, and I was laid up watching a TED Talk that was like, don't regret your life, and I was like, I am not going to regret my life, and it was just kind of the thing that pushed me over to uh, make that big change, to quit corporate law and to start my own firm, and, you know, no, no looking back. It was, I'm so, you know, I'm thankful for that push, even though I'm so sad for, like, the things that happened, but um, this definitely allowed me to to work in this more fulfilling area. So that was one to get to assisted reproductive technology law. So when I started practicing the area, I was working with a lot of singles and couples who would find out that they 
needed a surrogate. So whether it was a long journey of infertility and their doctor's like, hey, I'm sorry, you can't carry, you need to consider a surrogate if you want a genetic child, or a same-sex couple who kind of knew early on that they didn't have a uterus between them and that wouldn't be an option without surrogacy. Um, that when clients came to me early, they would say, you know, we don't have someone in our life to do that for us. So some people are amazingly lucky where they have a friend or a family member, but a lot of people don't. And so I would have to send them to these like big national surrogacy matching agencies who so many of them are amazing, but it tends to be that they just recruit across the country. And so you sign up and then you wait nine months, 18 months, and you kind of get the next person available who might be in Arkansas, which is a great, you know, a great, a great state, you know, lots of options, but it might be anywhere. And I really wanted to give an option for those who wanted to stay local. And so um, with my sister, I had been suggesting something like, oh, we really need something just local, Colorado surrogacy, where we just, you know, are finding women who want to do this for a local couple, and that way local couples can be involved and be there for the whole process. And so um, I had actually just had my fourth child, and she was visiting to come see the baby, and she's like, yes, let's do it. And I was like, yeah, a couple of years from now. She's like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm so lucky to work with a very type A, you know, on top of it, um, you know, partner in all of this. But so she really got it going, and that's been an amazing journey where I think we have 13 employees now, and I think we've had like 60 babies or something at this point, but to get to pay, play that additional role of being a matchmaker and helping those who need a surrogate and those who are volunteering to be a surrogate be joined together and supported through that process. And I get to go to these like match meetings sometimes where it's like a blind date of introducing someone like, will you carry my baby? Or like, <laughs> I love to carry your baby. And it's like really so sweet and amazing for people who so long to have a child and someone who's had that and knows how amazing it is to be a parent to offer to go through that for someone else. So it's such, it's such an incredible area to work in, with work in. I feel incredibly lucky. I love that. And I love hearing kind of your journey of, you know, wanting to do something that you loved and then kind of the, the unfolding with a family member, which is such a wonderful thing to get to experience. I'm sure on some days it's good and some days it's not. Right. Um, but um, that's just, just such a beautiful story and so inspiring. I know for probably some of our entrepreneurs that are listening and then also people in this area who thought about surrogacy and, and weren't sure how, you know, what to do or how to go about it. So um, kind of just picking off some of the things you said, um, when people kind of reach out to Colorado surrogacy, what, what is the process and what, what are they kind of in for when they give you guys a call? Yeah, well, two sides. There's intended parents, so people who want to be parents but have to turn to surrogates. So from that side, a lot of times they're referred to us from fertility clinics. So okay. where they're working with a clinic, to, and sometimes it's new to them to find out they need a surrogate. Sometimes they know early on. And then the clinic's like, okay, well, you need to find someone <laughs> to be your surrogate. And they're sent our way. On the other side, um, with women who want to be gestational carriers, is the other word for it. And I'll, I'll give you the warning that I had to learn early on that different terms can be very sensitive for people. So I remember when I first started early, I called a clinic and had a question. And I said, you know, their surrogate or about surrogacy and they're like we don't work with surrogates and I was like wait what 
um, because it clearly did in this case. But so sometimes clinics will refer them as gestational carriers, meaning you know a woman carrying a child not related to her. While there's something called like traditional surrogacy, where a woman can carry for someone else, but she's also genetically related to the child, which Colorado surrogacy doesn't do, and a lot of clinics won't do. But some clinics still use the word surrogate to only refer to someone who's genetically related to the child, even though most of us in the world use the term surrogate as a gestational carrier. So you didn't need all that confusingness. Anyway, so for women who come, they're like, I want to be a gestational carrier, aka surrogate. Um, it's actually a long vetting process. So, and of the people that apply, only I think 6% is our general estimate, make it through the process, which is kind of heartbreaking that someone would have such a generous, um, you know, generous personality and soul to raise their hand to do this. But then the clinics we work with are so particular and so specific. For us to be able to match them, we know they have to fit into this like pretty tight criteria. So you have to have already had a child you've had to have a pretty flawless pregnancy and delivery. So even for myself, like I couldn't be a surrogate because I delivered my last child at 33 weeks. So any preterm birth would disqualify someone, unfortunately. Um, like preeclampsia, something like that might disqualify someone. Um, you have to have a certain BMI. You have to be within a certain age range. Um, what else? Even some social factors where if you're on public assistance, um, we're always looking for someone who's like financially stable, so you can't be on public assistance while you um, to be matched. So lots of lots of criteria to make it um, to fit within this, these these boundaries of where a clinic will will work with you. And it's I mean people blame the the matching company like oh you're you know you're rejecting me or something, but really we're just forced to do whatever the the fertility clinics are are willing to work with. But it's a it's a long process. So if anyone's thinking about being a surrogate, like. Start way before you're, you're thinking you actually want to be pregnant. And, you know, as if I was coming in to go through that process as a parent or intended parent, um, how long does the process typically take, like, to be matched with someone to actually um, have that implantation and, and that go through that process? Yeah, so we always say everything's like, hurry up and wait. We're like, you'll be like scrambling for something and the deadline seems really soon and then you'll be like waiting. So um, sometimes matching can happen really quickly and it all tends to depend on your criteria or how what you're looking for. So some people are, you know, really easygoing and it's easy to match them. Others, other intended parents are like, you know, I need someone who doesn't work and has insurance that is friendly to surrogacy and only eats organic. And you know, <laughs> the more criteria you put on it, the harder it can be to find that non-working, good insurance, vegan, or whatever it might be. Um, but once the matching happens, then there's still steps where the gestational carrier has to go through specific screening with the intended parents specific fertility clinic. So we do screening where we collect all of her medical records and have them looked at by a reproductive endocrinologist, a fertility doctor, to say like, yes, she's a good candidate. But then whatever clinic the intended parents are, they always seem to have their own criteria. So she has to go through that screening. And then there's the legal process, which is always like the most fun, according to <laughs> for me, okay, not everyone else. But um, so they have to enter into this legal agreement where both sides are represented by independent counsel. And it's like, you know, like a lot of contracts, like thinking about all the worst case scenarios. Um, what if you die? What if you're on life support? What if there's a zombie apocalypse? 
Okay, that last one's not in there. But, um, but a lot of worst case scenarios are included. They really have to be thought about if, how everyone would handle it. So, and then only after that does the gestational carrier start medication for an embryo transfer procedure. And so what's kind of the, the best case and what's the longer case kind of of what a typical process takes? I think kind of matching, like getting into an embryo transfer, like six months is like pretty quick. Um, okay. And more, more likely longer, like nine months to a year, um, just because there can be so many delays that come along the way. So for example, even though a gestational carrier might be a great candidate, some clinics really like to do mock cycles where they basically have her go through medication to see how her body reacts. So to do like a whole other cycle before they even plan for a transfer. So that can cause another like couple month delay as well. So all these different things can factor in. What are the typical kind of expense ranges or costs for something like this? And I'm guessing a lot of your parents that come to you, you know, don't have the money right, right in their bank account. So they're probably looking at, you know, financing or are there options like that? Are there um, ways to get subsidized or, or where does that kind of cost come in? Yeah. And unfortunately it's, it's expensive. There's no way around that. Um, so just like the fertility clinic piece itself is really expensive and varies greatly, you know, depending on what clinic you're working with an agency matching you like what we have, like we charge a fee. If you have a friend or family member, that can like save you a lot. Um, typically with an agency, the gestational carrier is compensated. So that varies between agencies, depending on whether she's experienced. I mean, the, the short, the long short answer is like, it's a lot and it massively varies. But so like if she's experienced, it might be that she's compensated more. So you're paying that. Um, so just all these different factors. If she, her insurance is like surrogacy friendly, we call it, where some insurance policies, like normally you and I have a policy that will cover our maternity costs, our delivery costs, and we're only responsible for a deductible or out-of-pocket maximum. But some insurance companies will say, well, if you're being a surrogate and you're caring for someone else, we will not provide any coverage. And so then they have to buy like another insurance policy to cover it. So things like that can add, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars on top of everything else. So just massive variance, especially, you know, from the cheapest being the least expensive being like you have a friend, they don't need compensation, their insurance is good, to you have to go with an agency, you've matched with someone who's great, but she doesn't have good insurance. Um, another variable is lost wages that if you match the gestational carrier that has a good job, you know, that it's typical that the intended parents would be responsible for lost wages if she could not work because of the, the pregnancy. So if she had to go on bed rest, they would cover her lost wages. And if that was extended, like she went on bed rest for months, that could be another huge variable that intended parents might be responsible for. So lots of different things for intended parents to watch out for and think about. There are companies certainly that provide loans there's a number of companies that do grants, which are amazing. So um, I know BabyQuest is one. Um, I know, oh, so I work with a nonprofit. So I'm on the board of Colorado Fertility Advocates. And we have an event coming up in January that we're working on where we're going to have a panel of, of different grant companies. 
to help, I mean, not just surrogacy, anyone going through infertility. It's such a, you know, an expensive process. So we're having a bunch of a panel about grants and having the different grant companies come on to tell about their programs and how to apply. So I'm excited about that for, for anyone going through this to try to figure out how to make it work financially. It can be a challenge. And I love that. I love hearing that there are those opportunities because some people might just, you know, hear the word and think, okay, that's something that only the wealthiest people can afford and that there are options for people who maybe, you know, have a stable job. They have put money away. They don't want to go into poverty by going through this process, but they do want to kind of have that dream fulfilled. And it sounds like there are options for them, whether it's working with a grant company, with this nonprofit or I guess not a company, but a grant group <laughs> or working with some type of uh, financing or kind of getting creative. It sounds like with insurance and with, with people that they might know who could kind of step up to the plate. So that's great to hear that there's and those options. If I can just like brag about our state for like one second. Yes, so go for we it. We just this last legislative session passed um, a law that about fertility access, fertility care access. So Colorado just passed a law that says that insurance must provide fertility coverage. So for diagnosis, treatment, preservation that we did not have before. So meaning anyone who has insurance that's under Colorado law, they're required to provide some amount of coverage, which includes up to three rounds of IVF. So I think that can make a huge difference for families here. I think we were the 18th state to pass something like that. So still... The majority of states don't have it, um, but luckily, I think it started, it's not effective yet. It won't be effective till 2022, but at least in the future, I see, you know, progress for things getting more affordable and there being more support for the need to, to support growing families. That's wonderful. And I know you had such a huge role to play in that because I remember when you were working on getting that pass. So like tap the back official, great job. It was a huge team. I definitely was like, you know, I was working hard along everyone else, but there were so many people involved that we were so grateful for. Um, and it sounds like you do work with same-sex couples. Is that very, right? Yes, very, very much so. Um, yeah, you know, we believe that there are so many ways to form a loving family, and we work with single parents, um, male, female, um, gender non-identifying. You know, there's lots of ways to be a good parent, and so same-sex couples as well. Um, I also, as my law firm, do a lot of LGBTQ family protection, so we still live in a world where, unfairly, LGBT parents are not treated the same as heterosexual couples, and so we've seen some nightmare cases where um, a birth certificate doesn't have to be followed by another state. And we've seen judges mm -hmm. who have declared a non-biological parent not a parent of their child and instead an anonymous sperm donor to be the parent of a child. Really scary stuff. So we generally recommend that um, same-sex couples get a court order so that there's full faith and credit and protection in other states versus just relying on a birth certificate. So there are definitely different, different ways and obviously estate planning is huge for protection. But, um, but yes, we definitely work with all kinds of families and always recommend, you know, do everything you can to protect your family. And is, um, so are you the only Colorado local surrogacy? No, no, I have uh, many fellow attorneys in this area, luckily. Um, I would say there's about nine, like regularly practicing who focus on art law. 
I mean, I'm actually like kind of flattered and honored that you thought I was the only one. No, no. I mean, as far as like, as far as like Are Colorado. Are you estate planning attorney here? No, I'm just kidding. No. no, I mean, as far as the Colorado surrogacy, the surrogacy, like the agency, the Colorado surrogacy. Is there any, I know when you founded it, there wasn't anything else. Is there others or are you the only surrogacy agency? So we are the only Colorado focused agency. Yeah. So there is another agency that is in Colorado that works nationally. And there are other national agencies with presence, with a presence in Colorado, but they all work across the country. So we're the only one that's like Colorado and parents, Colorado surrogate you know, be together, you're all close. So we still have that's, being the only local, local. <laughs> that's wonderful. Okay. That, um, yeah. And fills such a huge need, I'm sure for, for people. Um, I think, you know, kind of talking about some of the legal issues that have come, that come up with these surrogacies, what are some of the legal issues that you have come across with COVID and these types of arrangements? Yeah, there's been a lot. Um, it's been pretty crazy. So, Colorado surrogacy is actually my, you know, my matching agency has been very lucky because of the local matching, you know, um, way we function. But there are so many different agencies that are really working a lot with international couples, and that has become very complicated. And I often will do the legal side for international couples. Um, with travel bans from COVID, that's become heartbreaking where some intended parents are not, have not been able to make it to their birth. And um, I definitely, you know, we, we as, a, as kind of the, um, the area of surrogacy and assistive reproductive technology, certain groups have like gotten together and been doing like updates about what's going on. They've been really effective to keep everyone connected, but really heartbreaking cases of people in the airport, like begging immigration, like that they, their child is about to be born and they can't get here. And for a while, they, there was an exception that said, you know, if you have a U.S. child, you could, you could come. But if your baby wasn't born, it didn't count as having a U.S. child. So you couldn't be here for the birth. You'd have to wait and then argue the exception. So it's been really rough like that. The other big part is in, for those who then make it here, they've been stuck here because the passport agencies weren't processing any passports and they had an emergency exception that was like impossible to, to fall into. And I know there was like some exceptions where you had to prove that you were traveling within, I think it was like 24 or 36 hours and it was an emergency and you had to have the tickets. And I remember talking to someone um, who specialized in passports and he had an Australian couple like desperately trying to get home. And the flight was like $60,000 or something crazy that they had to pay to get all of them home. Um, so that's been really rough. I mean, the other thing, and you're, you know, I don't know how much you share about how you're, you could go into labor at any time, hoping during this <laughs> podcast, is, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> is who can be there with you? And I don't know yeah. if, how, how your hospital is looking at this time, but really some hospitals have been saying, no one can be with the, you know, with the woman giving birth. And that's terrifying for some people who really, want their support person there during a really scary time. And so that's been a big issue where, you know, sometimes a woman's birthing by herself, sometimes the intended parents can't be there um, to see their baby born again. <laughs> like, again, like say they made it to the United States and now they can't get to the hospital. So COVID's definitely put a lot of complications in. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear you're kind of at the cutting edge of it and staying on top of it. And yeah, I'm 
36 weeks pregnant right now. Before we started recording, we were joking about whether I'd go into labor during the podcast. Um, and I'm doing a birth center, so I want to make it to 37 weeks so I can be at a birth center. Um, oh, but you've had births? I, I gave, yes. I gave, I gave birth to my first in the birth center. And I, nice. I, I don't know if you experienced this, but so I was at this big law, law firm at the time during my first mm-hmm. one. And I had partners and coworkers who were like, you are negligent to go to a birth center. Mm-hmm. You like, how can you do that? Like mm-hmm. if something happens to your child, that is a hundred percent on you. And it was like really horrifying. Um, and we kept going back and forth about whether we'd go to a hospital or a birth center. And when I, when I went into labor in court, but that's another story, um, <laughs> my husband comes to pick me up and I was like, oh, I'm in terrible pain. Let's go to the hospital. And he's like, birth center's closer. And I was like, fine, birth center. <laughs> and it all worked out amazingly. It was a great experience, luckily. But. That's wonderful. What birth center were you at? Was it here in Colorado or in California? So we were in San Francisco at the time mm. and it, there was only one birth center in the entire city of San Francisco. And so it was called Saj Fem, and it was like in this dark alley in the mission. So I always joke to my like daughter, like, "Oh, we can show you where you were born in this like dark alley." But um, but inside, it was like you know lovely and fine, and there was like a tub, and um, I was incredibly lucky where I got there. And they're like, "Okay, when you're ready, get in the tub, and you can push." And I got there, I think at 10 a.m. and gave birth at 10:35, and that was my child was very considerate. That's wonderful. <laughs> Making it yeah. short and fast. Yeah, the um, I just kind of finished the hypnobirthing classes, and they're like, they give you a pin that's like positive birth stories only. My baby's listening, you know. So I've I've had to kind of create that safe bubble of you know trying to kind of only talk about positive birth stories right now. I mean, I'm okay. happy to hear about other birth stories after, yeah, but okay. keeping positive. But Makes yeah, sense. it is. Um, you know, I've experienced a similar thing. It's almost like having a political conversation talking about if you're going to do a birth center and I've been really protective of who I share it with and um wanting to not world (laughs) yeah (laughs) no no um we are gonna I'm gonna be doing an interview next week with a with a birth center in town and kind of talking about it so I'm I'm, I've been pretty open about it but no just because you know you don't want to offend people and people get pretty adamant and it, it it can kind of make you a little more stressed about it so yeah Um, before we close here, we have a few more minutes. I wanted to kind of talk about, cause you are like super woman, you know, you have a law firm, you have a podcast, you are a co-director of a surrogacy agency. You have, I mean, you do it all and you have a family with children and what are kind of, what are some tips that you would share with other moms who are kind of balancing it all and, and, maybe are in a place where they're struggling or, or they need some kind of inspiration or, or pep talk? Sure. Well, um, I mean, thank you for saying I do it all. I mean, I have so many shortcomings. <laughs> I feel like sometimes you have to like pick and choose. So, um, so for one, I can't cook worth anything and I, and I hate cooking. And I feel like some of my tips are like outsource, do the quick, easy thing. Um, so I'm really, I mean, in order to like survive and like do work and kids and get that quality time in, it's really hard to fit in normal life, like laundry. And so things like that, I'm so lucky I live in a neighborhood where they have a laundry service, which they, when they started it, I was like, wait, what? Like, 
So you can like pay $15 to put your bin out and, or, you know, 30 and put two bins out and they like the next day it comes back clean. (laughs) So things like that, like finding those services that cut out the time you spend doing things that you don't want to do and take away from your kids. I mean, or if you can find a way to do them with your kids or incorporate it with things you like, I think that can be, can be really helpful and amazing. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping I'll, you know, force my kids to, to learn to love to cook and I'll just like make them, <laughs> hey, it's your night to cook. And actually it has happened where my daughter is like asked, like, oh, can I cook tonight? I'm like, yes, you can. Sometimes <laughs> it's interesting, <laughs> but good for her. Yeah. Um, well, I love that. And I love that idea. Cause I do think that, well, you know, I'm in the stage right now where, you know, I'm getting ready for, for a baby. So I'm asking, you know, what are, what are the tips? How do you do it all? Like, it seems so unbelievable to me to manage it all, but I think you kind of figure it out as you go, but it's good to hear, um, and see inspiring women like you who are able to, you know, really make it work and, and show an example of what's possible. You, I mean, I have no question that you're, you're also going to do it all and be a great parent. And, um, and I foresee a very positive birth experience. Everything will go well. So I'm excited to see, see you balance it all and giving, giving me the tips of how you made it work. So, thank you. We'll see. We'll see. Well, before we sign off, um, what is the best way for people to, to find you, Ellen, and to connect with you? Thanks. Um, so... My law firm is Trackman Law Center, so you can always Google or www Trackman Law Center. Um, I don't know if you're going to like post with it, like the number, 303-243-5014. You can post all the info. Colorado Surro is our website for Colorado Surrogacy. Um, we didn't talk much about my podcast, but you should definitely check out the podcast, I Want to Put a Baby in You. So it is at www.iwanttoputabbyinyou.com. And for those people who love podcasts like this, um, it's all audio, so no visual, but we've had some incredible guests on. And I was so excited last week. We had, like, celebrities to me. So I've been following this case of this gay couple who had a child. So they're both U.S. citizens, and they had a child by surrogates in the the U.K. because one of their good friends offered to be their surrogate. And when they went to immigration to, you know, this is a U.S citizen child, she was born to us U.S. parents, they said, no, we don't consider you under the immigration code of married couples, where she would apply, where she would be a U.S. citizen. Instead, we look to the non-married couple section, and she's not a U.S. citizen. I mean, it is, I mean, they're telling the story is like heartbreaking and crazy, and they luckily had lots of great law firms and organizations like Land Illegal behind them. I think Morgan Lewis did pro bono fighting this and they just had a huge victory last week where the government I mean a Trump appointed Georgia judge said no this child is a US citizen from birth and it was oh. an incredible victory and just like tell them being willing to share their story on a podcast was like amazing. I was like want to sob the whole time. So um definitely an episode worth checking out if any the stories that interest you or interest your your viewers. Yeah, I got chills just hearing that. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for all the great work you do, Ellen, and thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. Hey, Mama, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Head over to my website, www.findpam.com, for all the show notes and links. And you will also get access to my free legal tool to name legal guardians. It's all right there at findpam.com.